Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Freedom Talks. Uh, today, I'm very excited to have Tim Cohn on the uh, podcast today, and he is the creator and CEO of ALN Healthcare, um, and they help with revenue cycles for independent physicians to help get the, their, them paid for the services that they provide to patients. Um, and Tim, as again, you'll hear, uh, is kind of a healthcare strategist. So um, let's get right into knowing Tim. Tim, how are you doing? Hey, Brady. Good. Thanks. And appreciate the opportunity to be with you today. Yeah, I was really excited when uh, you guys got in contact with us. I think um, this will be a really interesting um, discussion. So uh, I guess let's just start with your background. How did you get into healthcare? How did uh, you get your start? You know, my healthcare uh, story started with an accident. I was in graduate school uh, getting a degree in industrial organizational psychology. I needed an internship to finish my program and got a call from uh, a guy that said, hey, if you can be at St. John Hospital in 30 minutes, they're looking for uh, somebody there. I had been mowing the yard, hopped in the shower real quick, and on my way, I thought, hmm, I, I was born in a hospital. I had my tonsils taken out. I had some knee surgery. That was kind of the sum total of what I thought about healthcare, and uh, that was the beginning, and it, it's proven to be just a completely and totally fascinating industry for me here 30-something years later. Um, so that's kind of an interesting point. You know, most people that's, that is their relationship with healthcare in terms of they need services. So they seek out the services they need. Um, and they don't really see what's going on behind. And then I think, especially in the past 10, 20 years, um, there's been rising healthcare costs. And, um, I think the public in general, I don't think they know the nuts and bolts of maybe what's behind those rising costs. Um, and, and what are the processes going on um, behind uh, the reason it's going up for them and why maybe it's more expensive than it was for before, why insurance deductibles are increasing and things like that. Um, right. So uh, when I was doing some research on you, I came across a talk you gave at Disrupt HR uh, on employee rights versus healthcare costs. And that's something I think a lot of people have healthcare provided by their, insur uh, by their uh, employer. Um, and, you, and you talked about kind of the responsibility HR has with protecting patient or uh, employee rights and, and their health care costs that they yeah. that is passed on to them compared to um, what the industry is, is facing. Um, so could you kind of explain kind of how you got invited to that and um, what that talk really was for for kind of the to the layman's people, non HR people? Yeah, it was fascinating. These are some friends of mine that ran this conference. And uh, first of all, it was a hoot because uh, there were a whole bunch of speakers that gave five-minute talks and <laughs> didn't even control your own slides. So you had to really stay on schedule. Uh, furthermore, it was held in a brew pub and uh, the audience was not only uh, partaking of the product, but they were encouraged to uh, interact with the speaker, kind of like the British Parliament. So there was <laughs> hollering and yelling. So it was a ton of fun. Um, you know, in that talk, it, it's funny. Um, I probably would have majored in economics if my little school had had a major. So I'm kind of a armchair economist. And uh, if you're in healthcare, you work in this very weird petri dish. I mean, try to explain healthcare economics, reimbursement, industry structure to somebody outside the industry and, and they will swear 
uh, you are pulling their leg because they're like, it couldn't be as convoluted and backwards as you make it sound. So we've got this kind of unique thing. So I was just trying to talk to this group of HR folks about this interesting idea. You know, as you mentioned, of the 320 million people in the United States, uh, just over half are uh, covered through they or their families' employer-provided health insurance. And it's a, it's a really interesting and somewhat unique to America kind of twist that you know, it goes back to a period of time when employers uh, wanted to give health insurance in lieu of uh, salary increases to the unions that they were negotiating with. Uh, little did they know that you know, they were signing up for this thing that would grow a whole lot faster than inflation. And so um, in, in one regard, and, and I'm a unabashedly a market-oriented guy, I, I trust a million decisions in the market over one decision out of a a central decision maker, um, but so I, I'm a I'm a fan, but it does create this really interesting and unusual relationship that the employer gets uh, sandwiched in between their employee and their employee's health care, which is for for many of us uh, it isn't that big of a deal. You know, we got some bumps and lumps, but for a small percentage of the population that has one or more chronic diseases, their whole life is kind of defined by their healthcare and their health status. And so the employer kind of finds themselves in the middle of this. Uh, now you sort of look over the last uh, dozen years or so, and uh, because of the price of healthcare, and because of some things that we've done with, with narrow networks, with growing deductibles, with, with various kinds of bundled payments and pre-authorization, um, the insurance company who has really been engaged by the employer. So to the employee, the insurance company is kind of an extension of their employer is even more in the middle of this. And the financial sharing between the employer and the employee is, is a debate that business owners face every year when they get their renewal. You know, how much of this increase can we absorb? How much do we have to pass on to the employees? So it, it is this bizarrely complex relationship with all these parties. And from a, you know, we were talking to human resource executives at the time and, uh, you know, here they are putting these programs together negotiating the rates with the payers, but also advocating for the best interest of their company and advocating for the best interest of the individual employer. So it, it puts HR professionals in, in this really bizarre place because of all the complications that we talked about. Yeah, and uh, one of the the metaphors I think you used was um, how you know sm if you have a smoker as an employee, um, yeah. it, it it's almost not worth it to employ that person because of all the extra healthcare costs. But on the other hand, uh, a smoker might be better than an alcoholic, and some people use smoking as a as a preventative to to using alcohol. So what's worse? It yeah, and again, that's just a great example of because the employer is involved in the financial flow around healthcare, you start getting into decisions like that that normally the employer would not be party to, but now they are a party. It's like, wait a second, our uh, you know our rates are going up uh, in part because we've got a handful of people that have chronic diseases, some of which they may have inherited, some of which may be the result of lifestyle decisions, where do we get to weigh into that? And where do we get to stop? And depending on your position on uh, employer 
rights versus employee rights, civil liberties versus, I mean, you can argue about this thing nine ways from Sunday, but and that's just like one example of yep. know, welcome to healthcare. It's bizarre. So with all that, that background knowledge now was, did you give that talk before or after you started ALN? Uh, after, okay. after, I think that was, that was a few years ago. ALN, we've been going now, my partner and I started ALN, um, gosh, we're at 21 years now. Wow. So, so what was kind of the impetus to start ALN and, and where did you, I mean, obviously you saw a market for it. So, um, what was kind of the inspiration to, to starting that company? You know, uh, we were a classic example of the, the finding from Babson College several years ago where they had uh, done one of the largest entrepreneurial surveys. And one of the questions was, you know, what was the essence of your idea and your business model? And while we love to celebrate Elon Musk and Steve Jobs and Bill Gates and, you know, the people that, uh, you know, create new molecules and ideas, the vast, vast majority of businesses get started in America around the fairly simple idea, surely we can do better than that. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's, it's, it may not be as, uh, as fascinating as uh, some of the other stories, but we looked at, uh, we had come out of the world of uh, large company consulting. We both worked for Anderson Consulting before it became Accenture. Um, and we're really intrigued by the, the smaller end of the spectrum. Um, I, with a background in healthcare, somewhere along the way, it figured out um, I knew how to talk to doctors. And uh, even though I spent a lot of time consulting with hospitals, they would always send me over to talk to the doctors because like somehow you know how to talk to them. And so uh, Tim, my, my partner's name is Tim as well, came from a technology background. And when, so when we looked at this space of, medical billing at the time. Uh, it was a really small fractured industry, ton of mom and pop players, and almost no technology. And so here you are processing transactions. Now granted, a medical claim is more complicated than an ATM transaction in terms of the rules and the data and the players as you reference. We just really didn't have a lot of technology in this space at all. And so we knew that it was just a matter of time. Uh, so we stepped into the space. Um, with, with Tim's background from a technology standpoint and mine from uh, a healthcare and physician practice standpoint. Um, and so just to give our listeners just a very easy kind of description of the, the main mission of ALN and um, what, what service you're providing and, and ultimately what service that you said, hey, we can do this better. Um, what yeah. is that? Well, let me give you the mission, which sounds lofty, and then I'll tell you what we do, which sounds mundane, uh, but they do connect. Um, I believe with all my heart, with a really, really deep passion that the U.S. healthcare system, this is a little bit of what we referenced in the earlier conversation, um, we have a fundamental cost problem. And President Obama was really elected on a mandate to fix the cost in healthcare. And if you go backwards, where I first got started, um, President Clinton tried to take it on. Now, at that period of time, there really wasn't a lot of uh, public awareness of the magnitude of the problem. They were just some wonky policy nerds. Um, and if, if you look now, here we are, you know, uh, 
gosh, we're, we're 12 years from the beginning of the Obama health plan. And we really have not moved the needle uh, in any material way on our costs. Our costs are still going up faster than the rate of inflation. Still puts tremendous pressure on individuals, families, companies, and our government. And in that process of being in healthcare for 30 years, I have just come to believe, and, and it's sort of meshed with my market orientation, that U.S. healthcare needs strong, thriving segment of independent physician practices. Um, look, the the natural economics of our industry require big companies, right? You need the government's involvement because there are certain things that only the government can do as we take money from the many and we give to the few, particularly those that have really, really expensive healthcare or our seniors or our poor. Uh, we need large insurance companies we, we need that can handle that risk. We, we need big hospital systems that can handle that capital. We need big pharmaceutical companies, you know, as we've seen with Pfizer, as an example, that, that can mobilize the resources to get us a vaccine. But if all our industry was, was very, very large players, um, we fail on a couple of fronts. Again, we have not moved the cost needle. And uh, number two, all of the work product of those big, big entities does come down to an individual patient uh, needing healthcare, whether it's hey, episodic, you know, I went skiing and tore my knee up and I need some therapy to get back to work, or whether it's a long-term diabetic with hypertension uh, that is really, really a mess. This is a really personal and really intimate service. And those large organizations just are not well suited. So we developed a, a deep conviction that U.S. healthcare needs thriving independent physician practices, uh, working in conjunction with the work of these large entities to deliver this in a way that worked from a cost, from a quality, from a, a personal connection standpoint. So that's the big lofty part of our mission. We want to help independent physician practices stay independent, stay in control of their destiny. Now, what do we do to do that? Uh, we're plumbers. Uh, we're in the revenue cycle management business, which is the fancy way of saying, you know, we take the work of our clients uh, that comes to us in a claim and we turn it into cash. Uh, we get our clients paid for the work they do. We step into the total complexity that is third-party billing. Uh, whether that is to Medicare, Medicaid, or the commercial payers, uh, workers' comp, those sorts of things. Um, anything short of the patient uh, plopping out a pile of Benjamins to pay their provider, we're kind of involved in. So uh, we are driven by a, a purpose that we believe in as citizens, uh, as consumers of this thing. We need healthy independent physician practices, uh, but the work that we do um, is really, really important because without the cash, uh, they can't stay alive. Uh, but we, we joke that you know, we live uh, underground, uh, you know, where the, the stuff is flowing that nobody thinks about until it's not flowing. I, so. I can attest to that. Uh, I work, my office is next to our billing department here, and, and we're literally in the basement. Um, so, uh, so there you're right. Your, your mission is extremely lofty and, um, you know, in execution, like you said, it, it sounds mundane, but it is important. And 
Um, we can attest to that as a small, smaller physical therapy practice. We're, we're not the, the mom and pop shop, but we're also not uh, the big hospital systems either. Um, I have just a few follow-ups to kind of all of that uh, information that we just got. So um, you had talked about some of the policy nerds knowing that the, the rising cost of health care was going to be an issue. Um, and that kind of Clinton kind of attempted to take it on, but didn't really do it. Do we know when that we realized that this is going to be an issue facing our country? You know, I, I think if you look at the period of time between uh, the Clinton reform efforts at the beginning of President Clinton's um, presidency in the early 90s, and then when President Obama was elected, um, one of the, I think one of the reasons that there was not a public awareness nor appetite for change in a big way at that time. It was you know that was the '90s, right? We mm -hmm. we had discovered uh, the internet and dot com stocks, uh, and you know we were paying Starbucks five dollars for a cup of coffee, you know, because I mean everything was flush. So there was nobody at that time that wanted to listen to a healthcare economist say, "Hey, look, if you look at our demographics." You know, when we first passed Medicare, there were seven working adults paying taxes into Medicare for every one person receiving benefits. We're now at three working adults for every one. Um, nobody wanted to talk about what the inevitable uh, future demographic projection of the baby boomers was going to mean when, you know, a million people a day move on to the government payroll. Employers also mm -hmm. were, were doing well, and they were getting really high health insurance increases at the time, but it, it was sort of lost in the wash. So I, I think what happened was just some economic reality. Um, things weren't as flush, you know, as they were in the 90s. The baby boomers, you know, were no longer in their 40s. Uh, they, they were knocking on the door and starting, you know, to, to move to retirement and move from contributing to the tax base to uh, taking from the tax base. And I think some of it was just simply math. So by the time President Obama was elected, um, you know, the average Joe that couldn't tell you, you know, what's a payer, what's a provider, I just know, hey, the part that I have to pay for my health insurance is going up. The copay that I pay is going up. The deductible that I pay is going up. If I'm on meds and, and I go to CVS, that's going up or, or that med's denied, they didn't need a healthcare economist. They, they could look at their pay stuff. Yep. And so there had just been a groundswell of uh, people saying, we got to try to do something. Now, my personal position, I think that, uh, first of all, the data is pretty clear. You know, we haven't moved the needle. Yep. Uh, costs slowed down for a period of time. And I think victory was declared prematurely, but it really was the recession uh, of 2008, not a, a real revision to healthcare. Um, we're starting to make some progress now, but interestingly enough, I think it has more to do with market innovations, with um, people in their local market, whether they are employers who are getting more active in their spend, whether it's providers, whether it's uh, you know health plans. I, I think have, have rushed. Uh, strongly in the Medicare Advantage, where they're taking risks that says, hey, if we can beat the average, we get to pocket that, we'll partner with our providers. So we're seeing, again, a million little points of light where we're starting to make some progress that I, I think I will bet on 
far more than some policy answer coming down from Washington. And I don't, I don't care which party's in charge. I just, I'll bet on the market to innovate faster than uh, the government to find the magic beans. And like you said, you're, you're going to try to at least be part of that solution and are, are being part of that solution with ALN. Um, so um, we obviously physical therapy, we, we try to take our independent uh, position and try to create our little niche in the market and um, do some things that try to make us stand out to patients and things like that. Um, and like you, you had mentioned before with the HR people where they're trying to do their best for their employees while also doing good for the company, um, independent practices are doing the same thing with their patients. They're providing uh, the best possible care for their patients um, while also doing uh, the best job possible to create a good business and keep afloat and be successful um, and be, be part of a growing economy. Um, so how, how do you, I mean, you guys are obviously going to these independent uh, practices and saying, hey, we can help you uh, create a better revenue cycle, grow your business, things like that. Um, how, how does that process work with uh, you guys uh, obviously making biz, uh, independent practices aware of your services? And then how do you go about implementing changes and things like that? And what services do you exactly take on? Yeah, let me answer your your last question directly, but then I want to cycle back to something you said just around the, the very large trend to consumerism in healthcare and what that means. So for our business specifically, um, when we first got into this business now 20 something years ago, and by the way, nobody, you know, in fourth grade career day raises their hand and says, Hey, I want to go into medical billing. Yeah you know, you accidentally land there. When we first got into this business, I would characterize it as it was fundamentally a staffing model. It was very human intensive. Uh, billers would work a pile of claims and whether a physician's practice did uh, their billing in-house or used a billing company, it, it was just a discussion of did the human set on your payroll or mine? And you could land on one side of the equation or another, but everybody's economics were about the same. What has happened over the course of the last 30 years or so in our industry, like everything else, um, the technology has automated things that we didn't use to automate. And so now capital and the ability to invest in technology, the ability to invest in the talent to manage that technology, because a lot of people can write stupid IT checks um, <laughs> You know, the check will clear and make the decision smart or the implementation right. And so our business and, and thus the revenue cycle for, for physical therapy practices, just like for physician practice, has tipped and is no longer just a human intensive. Do I have good billers who, who know my coding and work my claims? Still an important part. But now the, the capital infrastructure the ability to deploy that in the right way matters a lot. Um, the cost, for example, or the price point for this service has come down dramatically, again, like other things that technology does. <clears throat> so the reason that we see an opportunity in this space is that requires size and scale. Um, you know, I've got a, uh, we've got a client that's, you know, our largest client, they've got 
gosh, 250 providers now in 15 states. They're the, they're the biggest national player in their specialty. They've got all the size and scale you can imagine that specialty. The reason they outsource their revenue cycle to us is even with their size and scale, we're able to make investments in particular parts of the revenue cycle to continuously make it more productive and thus lower their costs over time that they couldn't make, much less a 10 provider group. It's like we're deploying bots, uh, robotic process automation, where the bots are doing manual repetitive tasks in the rev cycle, of which there are many. None of our clients are going to hire engineers who know how to write, develop, and manage bots. But we got a team of people who know how to do that, and we can do that for all of our clients. So consequently, then, we can spend more and more of our money on hiring specialists to really make sure we're optimizing our clients' revenue. Most importantly, what it lets our clients do is put their time, their money, their energy, not on the plumbing. Uh, they're trying to grow their business. They're trying to innovate around the care that they deliver. They're trying to take care of their patients. And so uh, I've used an analogy. Um, you know, our clients are like uh, real estate developers, right? They, they buy a piece of dirt. They see a vision for a neighborhood. Uh, we're the guys that come along and, you know, again, we literally lay the plumbing. We pave the roads. You guys just figure out, you know, how to sell houses. And so that's the role that we're playing. And as the industry gets more technologically adept, the importance of capital in the process makes it harder and harder for small practices to justify doing it in-house. Uh, and instead, they're going to go try to find a partner. What we're trying to be is that partner that is big enough to invest, big enough to have a former Accenture CI, you know, guy as our CIO uh, to have uh, you know, merge that uh, do things with the data that most of us can't appreciate and still be in a personal relationship with our clients, understanding their business, their market, their challenges and what they're trying to do. So do your, do your services um, extend upon, uh, expend greater than that in terms of maybe consulting that you would do with individual practices, or do you guys mainly stick to, to that? You know, it's a great question. And uh, I talk to billing company owners all the time and, and lots of people do air quotes, you know, consulting uh, coming from that background, understand the consulting world really, really well. We consult with the people that are clients um, building a consulting practice to con consult broadly, you know, it's great things for small consulting teams to do as a general rule. Um, so we don't go hang our shingle to just do a consulting project, but we do a lot of work uh, with our clients. For example, uh, we've got a client right now that um, is building a specialty specific management service organization. So uh, they are wrapping managed care contracting, physician compensation, uh, EMR strategy, a lot of things that for their unique specialty, they really understand the issues that they built a pretty big practice there. And, and they've got all these things that their depth gives them a differentiation. We plug into them. And again, we're this engine that we'll just, we've invested and we can turn their claims into cash. And they wrap these high value added services around. So they're really kind of doing a lot of what we would think of as the consulting work and, and we're just plugged into them to power the rev cycle. That, that's a model that we think is really, really interesting. 
so and then you the the cool thing that I think you touched on is that and and I want our uh, listeners to understand is um these small independent practices dealing with insurance companies and uh, reimbursement and all those things, uh, like you said, is extremely, it's time consuming. It, it can be costly um, for the, having the manpower to, to run all of that and be in contact with those. And then also negotiating rates and things like that um, is also an issue that we face. And there was just another Medicare cut that was, that was passed and that affects um, pretty much everybody in terms of the reimbursement rates we get for different services. Um, that might is be specific for physical therapy. Um, but do you feel that kind of if this, if the market isn't going the way of using services like yours and, and using ALN, that they're eventually going to get squeezed out in terms of being able to get uh, competitive reimbursement rates and build their revenue cycles to where they need to be? Yeah, look, uh, let me take a kind of a long view back and I, I will kind of put my consulting hat on here for a second and also speak to, you know, the audience in the therapy world because I think this applies to them as well. Um, when we, you know, I've been beating the drum for independence for a long time, but Marcus will be dead and he's not coming back. Um, very rarely, and there, there, there are always exceptions, but very rarely will solo practitioners, unless they've carved this unique little niche, be able to make it on their own. Um, managed care companies don't negotiate with small players anymore. They're, go to the website. There's the rate. Download it. Sign the contracts. Don't sign the contract. Yeah. I don't care. Um, so from reimbursement, um, you know, technology investments, even if you partner with somebody like us, you, you're still investing in your own technology, right? Well, if the cost of your EMR or your website or something is X and you have one provider, the only person in the practice that produces revenue, right? Everybody else yep. is a cost. If you divide that by one, that's really expensive. But if you divide that number by 10, by 20, um, so we have been saying for a long time, if you want to be independent, you still got to get bigger and you got to grow. And by the way, it doesn't mean grow from one to two. It, it means you've got to find some like-minded people and get together. So I get the question all the time, and, and I think it would be relevant in your world. Okay, when you say we got to get bigger, how big is big enough? And you know, my, my smart aleck answer used to be, um, however big you are, just take the next step and we'll keep talking. <laughs> And that there's still some truth in that, but but I did step back and try to think about that question uh, in a in a more thoughtful way. And I think my answer is big enough to invest. You're going to have to invest, and, and this is going to lead us back to the consumerism topic in a second. I want to talk about Brady. You've got to invest not just in technology. You've got to invest in management talent. Because the world's getting more complicated. And by the way, whoever you're talking to on the other side, if you're talking to a hospital system, if you're talking to a big vendor, if you're talking to a payer, those guys have size and scale. And they have people in various domains that are an inch wide and a mile deep. So when you, for example, go to negotiate your contract, if you're a solo provider who just got finished taking care of patients and refilling the copy machine and you know uh, calling the plumber, and now you're going to walk in and negotiate a contract. 
the person you're sitting with, she's a contracting expert, right? This is all she does every day. You're at a major, major disadvantage and you're gonna get fleeced every time. So you invest in technology, but you also have to invest in talent and, and talent is expensive. So size and scale. So I don't always know the answer to how big is big enough, but I push it back and say, are you big enough to be able to invest in the things you need to invest in? Which gets me to this topic of, of consumerism, because I think it's, it's possibly the single biggest mega trend in healthcare that you got to find a way to play. We're the only industry in the world that had this unique name for our customer. Right? We called them patients, primarily because uh, they had to have a lot of patience in dealing with us. It was about us on our terms and be glad you're here. Um, one of the things that has been uncorked, and this genie is never going back in the bottle, is our, our patients have become consumers and they bring with them their expectations from all of their other consumer experiences. Um, they don't isolate their healthcare expectations the way my parents isolated theirs. What they expected of the doctor was totally different than what they expected of the grocery. That, that's not true anymore. There's a lot of reasons why, but it, it just is. So now we're in this position where consumers show up and I have certain expectations of a practice that are informed by how I interacted with Amazon. They're informed with how I interacted uh, with Netflix. They're informed with how I interacted with the Facebook page of my kids' uh, PTA. And now you tell me that, you know, I walk in and you hand me a clipboard that's got six sheets of paper and about half the information is duplicative on both. And oh, by the way, I told you all this last time, like my mother's family history didn't change. Why are you asking me that again? And so I, I think the healthcare providers that are going to win are going to figure out how do I take advantage of this trend? Now, what we're seeing, and we're, it's just like what we're watching in other places, there are some things the big guys are going to do to win with the consumer, and you're not going to out Amazon, Amazon. You're not going to out Walmart, Walmart. They have so much more money. Now, there are some minimums, right? Like if I don't have the ability to communicate with my practice online, I may just walk away, but I'm probably never going to have two-hour delivery of something like Amazon does. But if you notice, there are people winning in, let's take retail as an example, uh, where they're creating very specific customer experiences. They, they're, they're not trying to line up and compete with Amazon head-to-head. -head. They've identified a niche. They, they really, really understand what that group of customers values and they've created experiences, whether it's around unique set of products or unique ways of engaging or uh, those types of things. And, and they're, they're winning. And as providers, sometimes that almost feels beneath us. And it's like, ah, I worked really hard. I, I went to school, I got my degree, I got my license. Uh, I do something that you know, not everybody in the world can do. Um, it's like, yeah, but that's not the way your patient slash customer slash consumer use you anymore. And so I think the people that are going to win um, are going to run right at that consumer trend. And they're going to ask really, really hard questions about 
uh, is what we deliver good enough, fast enough, cheap enough, whatever it is, that they will drive by the other alternatives and come to us. Um, and again, this leads us back to the reason I think it's really hard to be a, a small, small provider, because uh, unless you're going to go down to like a provider of one and you got almost no overhead and, and you're really not a practice, you're just a, a gig employee that yeah. happens to be, and there are people doing that. Anyway, that's, that's one of my soapboxes for, for providers is uh, this consumerism is real. And if you don't think about it the way they think about it, you're going to get lost. I, the way you just described that is perfect. And I can't tell you the amount of parallels that we have working uh, as, as freedom, physical therapy, and kind of the way we have had to kind of think about marketing our, our product, which is our, our therapists and our services um, to the public. Uh, talk to the owner of Freedom, Mike Karaginas, Um, And when he started, he was like, you know, physician relationships was the number one thing that you had to have. You had to have a constant referral source to be a successful PT practice. And if you didn't have that, you were going under. And what we've especially found even within that's that's really ramped up over even the last five years is that we have to have all those different resources uh, via social, via our websites, um, via texting, our EMR integration, able to get those patients in as soon as possible and kind of cater to all of the needs that they need catered to uh, and as extremely convenient way as we possibly can make it so that uh, it's easy one, two, three, uh, they have it, uh, they can get those services fast. Um, and it it's it's puts a lot of strain on on everybody and you constantly have to adapt but we are like you said going through that process of trying to be that practice that is direct to yeah. consumer uh able to find us easy able to get an appointment easy yeah it was interesting i literally had a conversation earlier this morning uh, with a friend about uh car buying experience and there were two totally different experiences on the table. One was kind of the white glove concierge. Uh, tell me what you want. I'll bring the car to you. I'll do everything. The other was um, a really convenient, great experience, but it was, this car is going to be 1500 bucks less than you can find anywhere else. And here are some things that we did that might be a little bit inconvenient that have allowed us to take some cost out. But the interesting lesson on that is both of them saw a weakness in the classic dealer model. They took very different approaches. Uh, the person who buys from option A is not going to buy from option B and vice versa. But rather than, okay, let's just try to go head to head with the dealer or try to be all things to all people. Both of those things were working because somebody had done the hard strategic work to say, who are we going to be? We're going to line up with that. We're going to get rid of everything else. And if you want X, we're going to be a really, really good version of X. And so, you know, part of our service, for example, because we're plumbers and we do have some contact with our, our clients' patients. So we are part of their patient experience. But we want to, it's like, look, most patients don't pick you because of your billing. Mm -hmm. they, they might leave you if it's bad, but they don't yep. pick you. Right. You go concentrate on 
are you going to be high convenience? Are you going to be high touch? Are you going to be low low cost? Are you going to be really technology? Whatever position you want to take in the marketplace is great. Um, we'll take care of some of this necessary but not differentiated kind of things for you. So you can do that hard work. And at the end of the day, uh, that's the cool thing about my job. Right, I, I don't have to worry about billable hours like I used to when I was a consultant. Our clients pay us for the revenue cycle work and I get to get thrown in for free uh, to help them figure out strategically, like, what are you trying to do in your market, in your specialty? Uh, where do you create that kind of differentiation that will let you find a segment of the market that you can own and serve in a really special way? So um, kind of getting a little bit to the end here, uh, we kind of talked about um, kind of what ALN does and the mission and a lot of stuff, uh, including the cost problem in healthcare. Um, I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on where do you think we're going from here in terms of, um, you know, like you said, you you see you've seen some bright lights in terms of the market figuring out some things that can kind of help lower the costs, but we're not, we're not quite there yet, and I don't think we're at a solution where uh, anybody's particularly happy about where things are going. Um, so I guess in the next couple of years, and obviously new administration coming in, um, where do you do you think that a the administration is going to allow for the market to figure out something? Um, and do you have any idea what that looks like? Um, so I got out of the political prognostication business. Um, <laughs> I mean, that, that's not a good thing to do. And there's Fair plenty enough. of that out there. That being said, there are a couple of things that uh, invariably we know. Um, President Trump, um, in spite of the fact that there was a lot of headlines on you know, repealing Obamacare, which always seemed to us to be a little bit of a sideshow, there were a lot of things the administration did, both through CMS as well as with some executive orders, that were pretty pro-market. Um, and I, I think those were, those were positive things. Clearly, uh, President-elect Biden is going to come from a different point of view. Uh, it's going to be more government, just by definition between yep. you know, someone who's left and someone who's right. Um, so I don't know the particulars on what that's going to look like. Um, I don't know, you know the extent to which uh, they're going to make a run at massive policy change. I, I think what uh, President like Biden has said thus far, particularly you know, being part of the Obama administration, is they kind of believe they've got the bones of it right in Obamacare. Um, uh, that's less uh, a concern for me than what might happen uh, via executive order and policy enforcement decisions that would make the ground less friendly to market innovators. So we'll see how that goes. Um, but when I go back to my crystal ball again, Brady, I'm going to uh, continue to encourage our clients uh, while you keep an eye on Washington. Um, don't let it consume too much of your attention. Um, I, I've said now for several years, maybe it's because I grew up in Arkansas uh, early on, so these guys have, have always had a fond spot in my heart. I believe the single most threatening uh, organization in healthcare to most of the established incumbents is Walmart. Um, 
and, and it's not just what they're doing specifically, which is fascinating, but they really represent at an extreme level. But I think what's growing is employers are saying, okay, we tried to outsource this to the insurance companies uh, thinking that they were going to fix all this for us. We counted on uh, policy reform coming out of uh, Obamacare. Uh, our numbers haven't changed. They're starting to get far more activists and look at healthcare the way they look at the rest of their supply chain. And go, wait a second, we don't buy anything the way we bought it 30 years ago. Why are we going to do the same with healthcare? So I think as as this broad trend of consumerism we talked about, which has the average individual and family activated, paying attention, looking for alternatives. At the same time, I think we've got the employers that, that do represent, again, about 55% of all the lives in the United States active. So I believe we're, we're still going to see uh, tremendous innovation uh, coming from large employers. Uh, I think we're going to see the consumer trend drive a lot. We're going to continue to see tech players uh, that show up in our industry, uh, and they're going to they're coming simply because they're so big. The only way they can continue to hit their growth targets is, hey, here's a sixth of the economy we haven't touched yet. No, oh, by the way, kind of looks like a dumpster fire. Surely we can do better than that. So they're going to come uh, bring some things. And so I think it's going to be a time of incredible innovation, and that means there will be uh, winners and losers, and you know there will be a lot of incumbents that will wake up one day and find uh, somebody spotted their share of the market, built a better mousetrap, and uh, took over. So it, it's either going to be a really, really scary time or a really, really exciting time to be in healthcare in the next ten years. Yeah, I was going to say, what what do you think about that and what that would mean for independent practices that, that you deal with and obviously that we are as a company? You know, I, I, will, um, I will close our conversation with how I view that group. Um, we talked to some small providers that really have a fairly um, defeatist attitude. Um, they see that the rules are legitimately tilted against them that there's so many advantages to the big incumbents and they kind of shrug. And, you know, my advice to somebody is like, look, if you're in that position, you know, go take a job somewhere, you know, go find somebody who uh, will give you a safe haven, give you a salary, give you, you know, you might not like it, but you'll be okay. Um, that's not who we want to work with, uh, but there, there are some that are there and I, I don't begrudge it. Um, the folks that, that we want to work with um, understand that, uh, yeah, we're we're pushing uphill in certain places, um, but they're at the plate with the bat in their hand, and they're going to take a cut, and they may go down swinging, but they're going to take their turn at the plate, and so we've seen some tremendous successes. It's attracting outside capital. It's it, it's allowing people to consolidate and get bigger. There, there are people that are, are doing really interesting stuff. Um, and I, I think if you're an independent provider, uh, you, you probably start by looking yourself in the mirror really hard. And it's like, do I want to sign up for the hand-to-hand -hand combat? Because it's not going to get any easier, right? Mm -hmm. Somebody said it's like, a, it's like a video game. You know, you fight like crazy to survive only to get to the next level and the monsters are bigger. 
right? <laughs> um, and so you got to decide, like, am I ready? Is this important enough to me to, to drive, to innovate, to change? Or should I just, you know, be a great provider, take care of my patients, um, and you know, take a paycheck from somebody else and let them worry about it? I think that's kind of the first question. Well, Tim, um, I can't tell you how much of a pleasure it's been talking with you. Uh, the best part about doing a lot of these interviews and having these conversations are talking to people that are uh, very passionate about what they do and um, about the businesses that they're in and what they can do to help. And uh, it was it was a fun conversation. I hope you had fun as well. Likewise, I did. I just want to say thanks to you guys as a guy that uh, has done my part to keep the uh, uh, orthopedic surgeons in business, I think with 10, 10 orthopedic surgeries now, I've spent a lot of time with uh, <laughs> therapists who uh, have helped me uh, recover and get better and stronger. So thanks for all the work you guys are doing as well. Thank you very much. This podcast is brought to you by Freedom Physical Therapy Services, providing exceptional one-to-one hands-on care to the greater Milwaukee area for over 25 years. Our physical and occupational therapists prepare custom plans for your condition to relieve pain and improve performance. Allow us to help you enjoy more freedom at freedompt.com.